So we're looking at Micah chapter 5, and, uh, which, is, which you heard earlier is the prophecy of where the Christ would be born. And uh, as I was thinking about this, this sermon and this, these verses and this message, it, I was kind of reminded of, of the show Undercover Boss. I don't know if you've ever, if any of you have seen Undercover Boss, but it's where like a CEO goes undercover to one of, to one of the small places, or one of the little outlets of his, you know. So it could be a CEO of a food chain or, or a, you know, all sorts of stores. But he goes in, usually pretends to be a new hire, a new employee, and, and goes through the training courses to see what his little, what the little store is like and what his little, what the local level managers and, and are like. Um, and usually it's a very helpful thing. He finds out things they really need that would make their life better. Um, and usually it's a helpful thing for them. Um, but, but sometimes he discovers uh, horrible things are going on or horrible people are in charge. Um, and it's, uh, so it's kind of a comic story in some ways. And it just occurred to me like, God being born in Bethlehem, yeah, this is like, this is like the ultimate undercover boss. <laughs> the God of the universe goes undercover into a tiny little obscure town with, with no leadership, no, you know, nothing going on there in the world uh, to an obscure and significant family, um, and he comes as one of us. And uh, so before we read here these verses, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you loved us so much that you came to live as one of us among us, um, and not just to know our experience, but to save us from it, to be our shepherd and our savior and, and our Lord, and to lead us into the way of peace so that we would know you and you would be our peace. And we pray that we would hear these truths today and take them to heart, and, and we will be changed by them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Micah, chapter 5, looking at verses 2 through 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. And... Uh, this prophecy from Micah connects directly to the birth of Jesus Christ. And we find that in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And I'll read that again. It may be familiar to many of you, but I'm going to read it here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. 
and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And I notice here the, the, the Apostle Matthew, he records the fact that it is the Jewish Sanhedrin that understood this prophecy was speaking about the birthplace of the Messiah. So it's not, it's not the, the apostles didn't introduce this. This is how the leading Jewish scholars understood Micah. Understood this is talking about the birthplace of a particular man who would be the Messiah. And so this prophecy is a confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah promised by God. And in the book of Micah, we see why this was such good news to the Jews and why it's good news for us. And particularly here, we're going to see the good news. God's word is certain. And also that God is at work despite the darkness. There's no darkness or trouble so great that could stop his work. And we also have the assurance that God has sent a Savior to be your peace. And he is your peace today. And he is at work returning his lost brothers to the people of Israel. And the perfect peace that is promised will happen when he comes again. So let's look through these verses here and see these good, the, where this good news is. So look, verse 2. Bethlehem, it's described as being too little to be among the clans of Judah. And what this phrase is referring to is how Moses organized the tribes. He divided, each tribe was subdivided into groups of a thousand warriors. And each, so this group of a thousand fighting men, each of them had a captain who was from among their families. And so if Bethlehem is too small, that means that they're too small to bring a thousand fighting men under their own family captain. And if they're too small to do that, then they have to join another group, which means they're not bringing their own leader. They're going to be under the leader of this other clan. And so here, here's the contrast then for this prophecy, because if Bethlehem is too small to even have their own captain, how are they going to provide a a ruler who's going to lead all of Israel. It's a, it's a shocking contrast. It'd be like having a, a school that's too small to even have a football team, but one of their students is going to be state MVP, I, but so much more so. <laughs> and, and so that's the contrast here. Well, that's the point of, oh, Bethlehem, you're, you're too small to be among the clans. So clearly, this new ruler born in Bethlehem is not going to rise up through the usual ways. And yet, Michael declared, this leader will have divine authority. He will come forth from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was the hometown of the shepherd boy, David, whom centuries earlier, God had chosen to be his special king and whose family would be forever the royal family of Israel. 
And this, Micah also tells us that this new ruler, he will come, his coming forth is from old, from ancient times. And the point of this phrase is that this ruler comes forth with an authority and a legitimacy that far exceeds his humble, obscure birthplace. And just like God raised up the humble shepherd boy David from little Bethlehem to be king over Israel, the coming ruler, his rising up, is also orchestrated by God. So he has this divine authority and legitimacy. And the faithful in Israel, they read Micah, and they held on to these promises. They waited for God's promised Messiah. And throughout the Gospels, you find people still waiting with expectation for the Messiah. They took God at his word that it would really happen as he said it. They knew God's word was certain. And they knew his word was certain because they recalled how God had kept his word in the past. He had rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. He had rescued the people of Israel from exile in Babylon and brought them back. God had always been faithful to his word despite the troubles and so they knew he would really bring a Messiah. His word was certain. And when we read the Gospels, we see his word was perfectly fulfilled, just as the prophets foretold. Jesus was born to the humblest of people in an obscure, tiny town because he was going to be a savior for all people, from the highest of kings to the lowest of people. And, early, and now in verse 3 then, Micah warned the people that before this would be fulfilled, there was going to be darkness and trouble. It says, therefore God will give them up until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. And going back earlier in Micah, uh, the first three chapters, chapters of Micah are all about the coming judgment because of Israel's sins and corruption. And that the character of their sin is described in full in chapter 7, verses 2 through 6, which I'm going to read here. And listen carefully to, these, to, to the, the character of their hearts and their nation at that time. It says, The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil, to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen, of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Does this sound uncomfortably close to elements of our society today? 
It should. And this society, ancient Israel, this was a society saturated with greed and lies and injustice where some people couldn't trust the members of their own family. No one. They couldn't trust anyone. But worst of all, they were a people unwilling to repent. And Micah described the inevitable consequences, invasion, destruction of the land, and exile. And in Micah 5, verse 1, just before our text, he says, a rod, which is the symbol of authority, a rod shall strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. So Israel would be without any sort of legitimate leader. No king, no, not even a judge like they had in ancient times. No righteous leader. All their leaders will be torn down. And furthermore, there will be no more prophecy. Their prophets will have no visions. There will be no word from God. And we have the advantage of looking back through history and we can see how this was fulfilled. And it was, there was a period of time after this we call the 400 silent years because after the return from Babylon exile and after those prophets and the final prophet Malachi, there were no more prophets for 400 years until John the Baptist came and proclaimed the coming of the Christ. And during these 400 years, Israel was almost always under the power of a foreign empire. And their kings were always puppets. They weren't their own kings. Their kings were puppets appointed by these foreign empires. So they were always under another's control, always under another's power. They were given up, as the verse says. But then it says, when he came... When he was born, then something would change. But the promised change was not a, a conquest. It wasn't a revolution. It was a return. The remainder of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And this return is not a, a physical relocation like the return from exile. This return is a spiritual return. It is the turning of the heart to faith in the living God. And Jesus himself made this clear, what this return was, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 49 through 50. Jesus here, and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And he says, the rest of his brothers shall return. And Jesus says, here are my brothers and sisters and mothers, those who do the will of my Father. And the book of Romans chapter 2 says, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So Jesus extended this return, not just to his own people, but to all people groups. And in the Gospel of John chapter 10, Jesus declared he was the good shepherd and his flock was all true disciples, all who would turn to God. Verse 16 and I have other sheep 
that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And all this happened just as God foretold in his word. His word is certain. And despite the darkness of our own corruption, God is at work. Despite the troubles of of foreign occupation and oppression, God was at work. And so whatever darkness and troubles we may face in our own times, we do not need to fear them because God is at work and he is greater than them and there's no trouble or darkness that can stop his work. And he is at work through his chosen Savior. Micah 5, verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. So this promised ruler, he will shepherd his flock, not with mighty conquering deeds like earthly rulers. He will shepherd them with the strength of God and of God's name. And this is in total contrast to the rulers that the prophet Micah condemns. Because earlier in in the book of Micah, in chapter 3, Micah compares, he condemns the current rulers of Israel. And he compares the oppressive acts of these rulers to the brutal acts of a butcher dismembering a carcass. That's what he compares those rulers to. But the promised ruler is not like these. He will stand between the people and the danger, and he will protect them. He will shepherd them and lead them towards what is true life. And this is what Jesus said of himself. John 10, verses 10 through 11. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So the promised Savior King will give his life for the sheep. He will give himself to save the people. And this is what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross for your sins. Because in your own power, you are not the faithful remnant, not by, your, not by yourself. The good shepherd must come and find you and stand in the way of the judgment meant for you and take it upon himself. And he can do this for you because he is fully man and fully God. He is the Christ. And so his death forgives all your sins and his resurrection from the dead brings you eternal life. Jesus brings you eternal life by bringing you to God the Father. John 17, verses 6 through 8. Jesus speaking here. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He made God's name known, just like the good shepherd would shepherd the people in the majesty of the name of God. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. 
For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Micah said that peace is in the Messiah. He shall be their peace. And in Christ we see that peace is knowing God in Jesus Christ. John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. God kept his word. He fulfilled his word. The Messiah was born in Bethlehem. Jesus is the ruler who will shepherd God's people into God's peace. But there is a part that is still yet to come. We do not yet dwell secure, undisturbed by trouble. Instead, Jesus warned us that we will have tribulation in this world. But he promised that he has overcome the world and that he will come again. John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus will come again. And when he does, the promised perfect peace will be fulfilled. He will be great to the ends of the earth, and all his people will dwell secure. But until then, Jesus is the shepherd seeking his lost sheep, the wandering sheep. He's seeking his lost brothers to return them to the people of God. And he can be your shepherd today. Now is the time to return to God, to put your faith in him, to turn your heart towards him. His word is certain. His promised Messiah was born in Bethlehem. He came to Bethlehem and he will come again. And you do not, you do not need to fear the darkness or the troubles that you may come to in your life because God is greater than them. He has overcome them. He is at work despite the darkness. And you have this confidence. You, God has sent the Messiah. We are, we are looking back. We're not waiting to know who he is and if he's coming. We, are, we look back now and say, we know he has come. There was and is a Messiah. And this Messiah promises you perfect peace in him. He is your peace, and he is returning his lost brothers to the flock, and he is coming again, and the perfect peace is coming. So I pray that the prayer and the attitude of your heart would be the same as Micah from chapter 7, verse 7. He says, as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation 
my God will hear me. Amen. Let's turn in prayer. God, we thank you for your love for us, for your compassion and mercy. Because you have compassion on us and the, the darkness and the troubles we face both in the world and within ourselves. And you sent a Messiah to be born in Bethlehem to save us from our, the sins and the darkness within us and also from the, the darkness around us that you have overcome. And pray that we, our strength and you would be, our faith and you would be strengthened, that you would help us by your word and spirit to endure and to hold fast to your promises, to look to our Savior and to look to his coming again when all the world will be made new and we will dwell in perfect peace. And until then, pray that your peace passes all understanding would abide in our hearts and keep us. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.